years, you've, uh, you've learned, especially husbands in the home, that when a, a need is presented by your wonderful spouse, that uh, you think it's presented so that you can deal with it and handle it and get it out of the way and say, aren't I great? Aren't I wonderful? Look what I did. I told you how to fix it. Uh, two years into my marriage, I realized that was getting very thin. And uh, one of the things I'm learning is to just hear her out and sometimes say, what can I do? Uh, sometimes say, I'm, gee, I'm really sorry. Um, but I'm still learning. Here, here's one, though, that um, I think you can identify. No, you probably can't. We lived in a small town that was about a mile wide and 12 miles long. It was only one highway going through the, the main part of town. And uh, since it was a small and unincorporated town, the county sheriffs were the ones, the San Bernardino County sheriffs, were the ones who uh, maintained it. And, and so every major holiday, because uh, it was a town known for its heavy drug and alcohol use, every major holiday, three-day weekend, uh, they would set up the checkpoint where you'd pull aside and... Uh, <clears throat> And usually, you know, I, I would avoid those, but for some reason I was coming home late one night on that three-day weekend, and they pulled me aside, and I put down the, um, uh, the window, and I asked, uh, well, uh, what, what's up? And they say, well, sir, we, we pulled you aside because we think that you might be driving under the influence. I went, no. I, I wasn't going to get spiritual. This is one of these times... <laughs> Which you don't try to get smart, okay? And so I, I you know, I wasn't going to say, well, yeah, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you know. Uh, uh, I wanted to. So I, I said, no, I haven't been drinking. He says, well, sir, could you please get out of your car? Give me your license and your registration and proof of insurance. And I was getting a little upset right now. And then... Uh, <clears throat> He said, uh, uh, okay, everything checks out. However, would you please take your finger and take it to your nose? He said, no, you're right. And I go, okay. And he says, okay, would you, you see this line right here? Would you please? I was getting pretty ticked. And I wanted to say something, but I said, you know, it probably could go against me if I, if I spoke up the way I was really feeling. So I do that, and then there's a tap on my shoulder. It's a man in my church who's a county sheriff, and he's just, he's just laughing so hard. He is having so much fun. I said, come Sunday. He says, I can't be there Sunday. Okay. <laughs> there are times, aren't there, when you know it's best to say nothing. Let me share another. I'm given an emergency call to come to the home where the mom and the dad, now divorced, are together, I mean, in, in that home, because their shared 13-year-old and great friend of my 13-year-old son has died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. You listen to them and what they're saying. Uh, how could this happen? We're good people. Uh, why would God allow this to happen to our son? He was a beautiful boy. Uh, 
they are so confused, so hurting, suffering so much inside. Should I have asked the question, what's a loaded gun doing in your home? Should I have asked the question or given the pat answers to the questions, how could God allow this to happen? You see, it was one of those situations where I realized I had to just hear them out and I had to keep saying, boy, I just can barely imagine the pain that you're going through. How can I help? There was no way that I could really help but just to stay there, to pray occasionally, let him talk longer. But it wasn't a matter of my pat theological answers that they really wanted to hear. They wanted comfort. And we have to be aware that there's going to be many situations that we enter into, perhaps me a few more than you, but we enter into these situations and we realize, you know, talking is not the best thing to do right now. In fact, maybe I ought to just ask a few questions and let them keep going. Last week, we looked at people talking about the philosophy or the theology of suffering. Why do people suffer? And, and Jesus, as he went to uh, heal this man who was blind from birth, uh, realized that his disciples had this theological question. They were asking, well, you know, sin is the cause of suffering. Therefore, did this man sin before he was born? No, he couldn't have done that. So did God look forward to what he would do in, in terms of his sin and therefore cause him to be born blind? Or was it his parents' sin and, and their sin and the penalty of it is visited upon uh, their children? And, and Jesus said, it's none of those. This is so you can see the work of God. But you see, he was dealing with his disciples and, and they were in the intellectual realm, the philosophical realm. And it's okay to be there. I have those questions too. I still read books on the issue of human suffering and and why things don't go well in the world. And I love to read uh, the philosophical answers. But this week we're looking at people who aren't asking about why do others suffer. They're asking why do we suffer. And it suddenly gets very up close, gets very personal. And as we've been going through the Gospel of John, looking at him as he interacts with people so that each of them could say, you know, I'm, I'm right there in his face. I am watching what it means to be the Son of God here in the flesh. As they go through each of these occurrences, they come away with a, a new faith in the God who loves them, in the God who cares about them, in the God who has sent their Son for them, the God who had his Son go to the cross for them. So now we're dealing with a situation of two sisters who are suffering. They have prayed for their younger brother, whose illness only gets worse. They have gone and tried the best medicines. They've looked at second opinions. They've spent good money. uh, And still their younger brother is not healed from his illness. So they ask Jesus to come and help them. And yet before Jesus gets there, Lazarus, their brother, dies. Nothing works. And worse than that, you might say, Jesus never comes before he dies. You know that account. It's in John chapter 11. For those of you who've been in church for a while. For others of you who maybe haven't, it is really worth looking at. You see, nothing worked for Lazarus. And I'm sure that they were thinking, why could this happen to us? I mean, we're good people. We, we have all the right faith, and yet this bad thing still happened to us. 
Uh, we do all the right good works, and yet we're rewarded with this tragedy. Uh, we tithe and we give to the poor. Look how we use our money. More than that, look how blessed we are, all the wealth that God has blessed us with. Therefore, this should not happen to us. But something else is going on. What else is going on is, Jesus, why didn't you show up? Why couldn't you have got here in time? Now, I want you to understand that though we, under, we know how the, the whole process ends, that Lazarus is raised from the dead, this is not so much about Lazarus, even though it's quite a miracle. It, and it's more about the suffering sisters who asked for Jesus' help, but did not, you know, Jesus does not get there in time. And more than the sisters, it's mostly about Jesus and the different word that he continually gives to those who suffer. You may be thinking, in a time of suffering, this is the best thing to do to help somebody else. I think Jesus is going to turn your whole thought processes upside down. So we are looking at Jesus close and personal here in the midst of, of a grieving uh, and griefs to, uh, in, 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 uh, two sisters who are grieving. And we, we get this chance to glimpse uh, what God in the flesh, what a God-man does. So the usual question is about suffering and God's love. What, what do I mean by that? Well, we, we, we tend to think that uh, our suffering means that we've done something wrong and we're getting what we deserve, or, or, or our suffering means that, that it proves God does not really love us or care about us. And I think you'd say the same thing. If, if we're in a certain situation and we ask our friends to help, we, we expect them to do something. So if they don't come, if they don't help, wouldn't we say you're indifferent or you're ignorant? And we did ask you to come, so that means you're indifferent. You don't care about us. And by nature, not just our closest friends, but let's be honest. We say love is a verb, so therefore when somebody has a baby, we bring a meal. When somebody's car breaks down, we say, here, use mine for a while. Uh, when somebody is sick, we make a visit. We bring chicken soup. It's, it's just what we do. This isn't just Christians. All humanity does this. So when Lazarus is close to death and they ask him, come and pray, pray for him so that he might be healed. What they're saying is, Jesus, show the love so I can feel the love, right? I'm not going to feel your love if you don't show it. And yet in this instance, it's very clear, Jesus does not come and it is intentional. It's on purpose. I have heard from many of you over time that silence means indifference. That if a person avoids you in a crisis, it's either that they are unaware or, or, or maybe they're just afraid that they're going to trip over their words. Um, however, in this situation, it says all throughout you know, this whole chapter how much Jesus really does love this family. I mean, you should see the verses there uh, in verse 3. Uh, Lord... Martha says to, uh, to Jesus in a message, the one you love, meaning Lazarus, you love Lazarus, I know that, he is sick. Can you come and help? A little later on, it says Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed 
where he was for two more days. And then at the end, when Jesus is there and he's recorded as weeping over the death of Lazarus, the Jews who are in that same community say, see how he loved him. He loved him enough to weep. And Jesus wasn't one of the paid mourners. Uh, Jesus just did it on his own. So Martha knows that Jesus loves Lazarus. John knows who wrote this account from memory, knows that Jesus loves all three of those brothers and sisters. And the Jews could tell by Jesus weeping that Jesus loves Lazarus. And yet he does not come. Deliberately, he remains in Galilee for several days. And when he does come, Lazarus has died and he's entombed for a period of four days. I think this brings up a great subject of how we interpret God's love in our circumstances. And I, uh, believe me, I, 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 somebody had to give me this thought because it is so deep and so clear. And I realize how much I go from one side to the other. What do I mean by that? I want you to understand that most of humanity, most people that we know, would tend to uh, look at our circumstances, what we are going through. And through that, we would interpret God's love for us. Therefore, if we're going through a hard time, God can't love us, right? And I've been around people all the time. who do. Why me? I'm a good person. And, and it's a very natural thing to, uh, to assume. Uh, this circumstance means that either God's not looking or God does not care. And that's what we jump to, and, and, and therefore I'm around people who say, I asked God to show up and he never came. I prayed for this and he never answered. That's another time, by the way, I don't say anything. Uh, I just listen. But there's another side. The other side is we interpret our circumstances through God's love. And do you understand the difference? If we know that that's just not God's nature theologically, but we know at the very core of our being that God loves us, therefore, whatever circumstance we are suffering through, we interpret it with how are we going to see God's love? How will he show himself? How, how will we be uh, sense that his presence is there? And I want to say that that latter one, interpreting our circumstances through God's love, is, is for those who are often experienced in Christ and been following Christ for quite a while. How do you interpret God's love and your circumstances? I'll freely admit there's often, <laughs> many times, that I don't deserve that. Why would you do that to me? Usually I do deserve it. It's not punishment. It's just natural you know, consequences. But, but, but I love to say that. I'm too good to have this happen to me. The issue here is that what Martha and her sister Mary desired is not what Jesus showed them at first. But the issue is, is that later on, as he does show up, he does something of which they could never have dreamed or imagined. And he does it for a greater purpose, or you might say a multi-purposes, a purpose in which people would say, oh, 
that God really loves us. But they'd also say, what a God. What a God. And I would love more for God's reputation and God's honor to be lifted up, along with those, those situations where we see his love. So it's about, you know, um, first of all, the suffering as we see it and interpret it through God's love, but it's also about suffering and God's honor. So we go forward to uh, John 11, verse 4, and, and as we read that, we understand that Jesus is in Galilee and he's helping his disciples. And he first says to them, when Jesus heard this, the one you love is, is ill, please come and help us. Uh, he says to his disciples, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus is giving this little hint of what's going to happen. Uh, and so it, this is not the way it's going to end up. We know that Lazarus will die, but it will not be a permanent death, as we know what happens at the end. But the suffering will end in God's glory. Now, we do not use the word glory very much. It's in some of the songs we sing. And, and, and for many people, we have to begin to sort of reinterpret that. What would be words we'd use today? Uh, one word we might say would be uh, God's honor. In other words, uh, how do we lift him up almost like we here in the United States lift up our sports or our political or, or all these uh, other celebrities that we have for the work that they do, um, <clears throat> the excellence that, that they portray. And so we honor them. We give them banquets. We, we, we give them awards. Another way would be talking about God's reputation. Uh, when we see God at work, it enhances his reputation among us because we have seen him work. Well, Jesus does nothing. And, and, and then uh, we see about a few verses later where uh, he goes to his disciples again. And he said, uh, Lazarus is dead. He tells them plainly. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Did you see? I mean, at first reading, I'm glad that I was not there. I'm glad that I was there. Isn't that hard to swallow? I mean, that's, I mean, we want God present. And he says, I'm glad I was not there so that you, he's talking to his disciples, would believe. So God's honor through this whole situation uh, is going to be, you know, it, it's going to be increased. And the faith of his disciples is also going to be increased through this uh, event that's about to happen. Now, I, I want you to know that the, um, that the disciples are probably very confused at this moment. Because at first he said, this sickness is not to death. And they, they say, okay, we'll stay right here. And then a little later he says, oh no, Lazarus is dead. Wait a minute, Jesus. Wait, what's going on? And, and, and then after that he says, and we're going to go to this town, which is just two miles outside of Jerusalem, where they want to hang me, oh, we're going to go to this town. And, uh, and they're thinking, oh, wait a minute. You said it wouldn't be a death situation. Now you say he's not asleep, he's dead. And now you say, let's go to Jerusalem. And that's where Thomas speaks up and gives his great words of faith. Oh, let's go and die with him. Uh, I love Thomas. I, I love cynicism. I love sarcasm because it's just like me. Um, so uh, he, he finally gets there. 
And when he comes, uh, it is evident that Lazarus is dead. And when he arrives, Martha, the oldest and probably the lead sister uh, and sibling, comes out to Jesus. And she gives these great words. Lord, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. Now, it says two things, doesn't it, about Jesus? The first is, you could have healed him. You have the power to heal. What's the second? You let me down. As I look at it, you did not answer my prayer. You did not answer my request to come and help. Uh, You did not show up, and he is dead because of you. So, Jesus then looks at Martha, and he says, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. Jesus had one thing in mind. Martha had another. I love this because, once again, she goes back to the philosophy and the right theology. She's looking at, yes, I realize that there is a resurrection at the end of time when God raises everybody. I I believe that. My theology is correct. Therefore, I do believe that, you know, my, my brother Lazarus will be raised. And uh, she would be correct. I mean, in everything she said, she would be correct. But she didn't go far enough, and that's where Jesus wanted to take her. So he looks her in the eye, and he says this great statement. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, yet though he die, he shall live. And then he says, do you believe this? The difference is, what is correct theology and who is the person you're placing your trust in? That's the difference. What is correct theology? Do I suggest you go walk around with bad theology? Oh, no, not at all. Keep good theology. But understand it's not about a a point of order or a point of facts. It's about a person. And this person is the one who has said, I am. Now, Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks up seven, eight times and says, I am. And he says, like, I am the vine or, or I am the good shepherd. Sometimes it has something to do with what he's saying uh, and other times not. I am, he says, I am the bread of life after he feeds the 5,000. This time he's looking at a woman who has lost her brother. And, and she, he looks at him and says, it's not just about whether the resurrection will occur. He looks at her and he says, I am the resurrection. The resurrection will happen because of me. We know later the resurrection we can be certain of because Jesus himself is resurrected. But he's saying, if you're wondering about eternal life, if you're wondering about what it means for life after death, he says, look at me. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says, okay, do you believe this? And something amazing happens here where she confesses her faith. And she says, yes, I do realize that you are the son of God, the one who has come into the world. And and, and that's a beautiful thing for her to say. The problem is that she doesn't believe it. And uh, we are guilty of that often, aren't we, of saying things we don't really believe because it looks good to have faith on the outside? Oh, yes. I know God will answer that prayer. 
Or, oh yes, I'm sure this will turn out for good. We, we have all of those circumstances. And uh, we love to say the right thing. So Jesus puts it to the challenge. Um, <clears throat> what does he do? He, uh, he says, okay, if you really believe that I am the resurrection and the life, as you've just said, and you have put your trust in me, now here's what I'd like you to do as a follow-up. And so understand that honoring God in our lives will have a, a couple, you might say, sort of uh, consequences if we really, really mean it. And a, and a lot of tests to see if we really do mean it or not. Because to this point, Jesus has made a promise, but he has not yet fulfilled it. And so when he says, your brother will rise again, she says, yes, with her lips, but we know that talk is cheap. So Jesus then asked her, okay, as they're standing near the tomb, uh, Martha... Uh, instruct the people here to take away the stone that seals the tomb. And um, and uh, she goes, what? And she has a great reason not to. He's been dead four days. Any of you still use the King James Bible? Okay, if you do, it says, he surely stinketh. <laughs> Isn't that great? I'm so glad we didn't give up the King James, you know. By this time, the odor is terrible. It will cause people to, to bowl over when, when, that fume, when those fumes come out. And, and yet what she's saying is, yes, Jesus, I believe you're the resurrection and the life. And, and, and I've got all that down. But when Jesus puts it to the test, she says, can't be. And I love humanity. I, I, because... I see myself and so many of us like that. Yes, I believe it, but here was a test and I just got an F on that test. And so, you know, it's like he's saying, are you going to really trust me? This is true faith. True faith makes a sufferer trust God in actions consistent with God's promises. True faith makes a sufferer trust in God with actions consistent with God's promises. That's called obedience. And when Jesus takes away the stone, I'm sorry, when Jesus tells her to take away the stone, I think everybody is waiting for Martha to give the nod. Okay. Just in case, you know, okay. And, uh, and they do. They do. So now... There's an open way out. And God's honor is raised just as Jesus promised through his power. He gives a prayer. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. That they may believe. So there's Martha and her sister and all these people from Jerusalem and from the, from the town of uh, Bethany there, they're all there. Um, and they all see the stone rolled away. They all know that Lazarus has been in there four days. And, um, and Jesus prays. And then he gives the final command. Lazarus, come out. He had to say it loud enough so a four-day dead man would hear it inside the cave, okay? He had to say it loud enough. So apparently he said it loud enough, even though uh, Lazarus, you know, would just 
you know, could be raised anyway. But can you imagine this? I mean, there, there's a, a great moment throughout Genesis 1 where it says, And the Lord said, or the Lord spoke. And, and so he says, uh, Let there be light. You know, let there be things in the firmament. You know, where just by his word, something comes out of nothing and life comes from non-life. Just by his word, all this occurs. And so here is the Son of God speaking to a four-day dead man. I've never had a dead man answer me back. And, and, and he speaks to him. And Lazarus, come out. Do you understand that the power and the word of God, that's all he needs to say. No medicine. No therapy. Just the power of the word of God that creates matter and creates life now creates a, a, a resuscitation of this four-day uh, dead man. And so he walks out of his tomb and as if he is, and as he walks out, it's obviously the same man that they had put in feet first four days earlier. It was the same man wrapped in the same cloth. Uh, this was not a hoax. It, it was, everybody stood there amazed as this dead man regains life and he's reunited with his two sisters. The next chapter of John talks about Jesus having a meal in Bethany. And who's there? Lazarus, eating dinner. Eating dinner. And Jesus finally says, Now take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let him be fully alive, fully healthy, very normal. Let him eat. Let him drink. Let him laugh. Let him tell stories. Let him talk about what it meant to be dead for four days. This was done so that you might believe in me. So here's, here's the question. Two levels, two questions. Have you come to the point in your life where you can say, I have placed my trust in Jesus Christ? I realize that I just have these ancient writings, but, but as I read them, and, and 48 years ago when I first gave my attention to, to believing in Jesus Christ, I, I, I realized that you know, I had been thinking so many things and how life works, and, and I had been thinking about what a good exemplary life I had for most in, in comparison to all my other friends at high school and, and all the good things I did and all the bad things I didn't do, and then I heard about Jesus and that he was the only way to eternal life. It finally got my attention as a 17-year-old. I'm a little slow. I get that. It, but it finally got my attention. And I went from believing that there is a God and Jesus was an historical figure, but I never gave much thought to him, to putting my trust in him and then learning for the rest of my life what it means test after test after test of what that faith looks like. Have you done that? Have you made that beginning? I really hope so. And if not, I would love to just hear you out. What are the things holding you back? Come and talk to me. This would be a great conversation. And believe me, it's one of those times where I'll probably say nothing till you're done. But the other thing, 
for those of us who are following Jesus. Do you believe that God can and desires to be honored in your suffering? That's tough. Really, really hard. And I know maybe some of you are still struggling with that and going through situations where you are, how is God's love going to be proven through this? How can I interpret my circumstances through God's love? I don't see anything good here. Do you believe that whatever suffering you face in Christ, because you are in Christ, that God will be honored? I have suffered so little in my life, I cannot speak to what some of you have gone through. I'll just say it. I'm blessed. Uh, it's not that there hasn't been adversity, but suffering, very, very little. I uh, just happened to find this testimony in the current uh, 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 Christianity Today. In a period of a very short time, a woman loses her husband and her child. And she had turned her back on Jesus long before that. And yet she would say today, it was this that brought me back. I know some of you have questions about that, but she would say, this was the beginning of my return. We'd invite, there's, they're back there on the connect table. It's got this woman's picture on the front and it says, testimony, a grief transformed. I can't speak because I have not suffered like she has. Let her words speak to you. Let's pray. Almighty God, we confess that we are human and sometimes we do say, why me? And we love to give all the reasons why it shouldn't happen. Lord, you are not the author of evil. We know that is true. Your very core of your being is goodness. No evil can pass through your eyesight. So right now, we simply ask, Lord, show me your goodness in this. Help me to interpret my suffering, trusting in your love. And hardest of all, Lord, in my suffering, may your honor and people's faith increase. Wow. In Jesus' name we ask, God's people said.